Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. This is John Howell Essential Cuts, your daily rundown of the best of the best from today's show on 890 WLS. The Bureau Chief for Capital News Illinois, Jerry Nowicki, joins us. Jerry, thank you for your time, sir. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, the governor yesterday, or I guess Wednesday, announced the release of about $60 million in grant funding to help local governments develop public parks, open spaces, but 20% of which will go to distressed communities. The open land, I'm sorry, open space land acquisition and development grants, 118 projects, 102000 to 600000 per grant, and the allotment to distressed communities is roughly fivefold from previous physical years. Fiscal years, so Jerry, how 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 are the distressed communities determined? What's the criteria? Yeah, sorry, the uh, they just uh, alerted us that it was a false alarm on the fire alarm. <laughs> okay, so happens that, happens at the NBC Tower all the time. <laughs> um, so the distressed communities are it's uh, based on poverty level, poverty level, and. Um, uh, U.S. Census data. I think it's uh, Department of Labor and and uh, just basically poverty level and uh, whether there have been recent um, uh, natural disasters or anything in the area and stuff like that. Is Cairo at the top of the list as far as distressed communities, or are they just first in line to receive a grant? Uh, yeah, they got one of the largest ones. I don't know if they were first in line because there were maybe, I think, 23 was the number of uh, for distressed communities that have received them. So certainly that's a big, uh, that's a lot of money for a town like Cairo um, that has been through what it's been through and has the, you know, um, sort of the, the history maybe of some level of state disinvestment. Um, and I think the governor said that was the first ever uh, Oslad grants, as they call them, that Cairo had been received. I think it was Cairo that he said that about. A few years ago, and it may be all the way back into the 90s, when we had that horrific flood which uh, released the Asian flying carp into our system here. But weren't they after, maybe it was 94 in the, at that time, or maybe even more recently, weren't there plans just to move all of Cairo to higher ground, just give up the ghost as far as the original footprint of the city, this town? Oh, geez, John, I don't know. You're, you're, you stumped me on that one. I, I don't recall that. It seems like there was a talk of a big, uh, big uh, you know, federal project essentially saying, okay, enough is enough. It's not going to get any better at this point. Let's just pick everything up, pay through the teeth to do it, and move Cairo to higher ground. We're talking here with Joey, uh, Jerry Nowicki, Bureau Chief at Capital News, Illinois. He uh, covers Springfield as, uh, as best as anybody in the business. Uh, so far, I guess Governor Pritzker is deciding hands-off on the Chicago mayoral race. What can you tell us? Yeah, I think that was one of the interesting things we got, interesting things we got out of that news conference. And, you know, it kind of makes sense, right? The governor has to make uh, do with whoever wins that race. And right now, I'd say it's pretty close. You know, I don't, I don't follow super closely. Um, obviously, Vallis had a pretty nice lead in the primary, but you wonder 
what his ceiling is with the voters. And I certainly am not going to begin to speculate what that is. Um, but uh, it also seems that the governor, you know, would have a very clear contrast um, between the candidates thus far. You know, Vallis is probably the one favored by the conservative voters. And Johnson has been the one favored by the more liberal uh, parts of the city. Uh, so you think for a pretty liberal guy like Pritzker, it would be an easy choice. But uh, I think he's he's probably calculating and he even said it to us that I'm going to have to work with whoever wins this. Uh, I'm not sure who, you know, I, I, I take that very seriously when I make my decision, decision as to who and whether to endorse. Um, and, you know, he's, he's going to go from there. But it could be that he endorses later down the line. He didn't rule that out, but for now he's staying out of it. Was he pressed by uh, reporters to, you know, was he, were there any follow-up questions or just one and done? With the endorsement. Yeah, no, we, I got a couple follow-ups myself. I asked if he had talked to Lightfoot or Vallis or Johnson yet. He had not talked to any of them. Uh, John O'Connor at the Associated Press, he asked him, so you're a Chicago voter. Who'd you vote for Tuesday? And the governor said, oh, as you know, that's a very private thing when you go to the voting booth. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know he, he, he wouldn't have said the same thing, you know, when you're asking Republicans whether they voted for Trump. Uh, I think the governor would have very much wanted that question answered. But uh, here we are. And he determined not to answer it yesterday. But if he has national ambitions, which I, I'm leaning towards the fact that I, I think he does, or the, at least to my conjecture is he does. He, he, he can't be weak on crime. And the defund the police is kryptonite to the Democratic Party. So he would have to toughen up on his essential choice for mayoral, uh, the mayoral endorsement in Chicago, I think, to burnish his cred, uh, credentials if he plans on going any further. Oh, uh, you know, well, that's kind of an interesting point, because first you have to get past the Democratic primary, right? So I also wonder if he's thinking along those lines in terms of, you know, ooh, I probably can't endorse a guy like Vallis and still have my progressive cred uh, among the Democrats in the primary. So, you know, it is it is kind of a double-edged sword, whether you endorse one way or the other. I watched Brandon Johnson do a very delicate dance on one of the cable networks this morning regarding you know, the crime issue in Chicago and how to still have his uh, progressive credentials, you know, not tainted by saying, well, we have to hire more police and we have to start to, um, you know, we have to start bringing down the hammer on habitual criminals. Uh, he didn't want to go there. I understand that. Uh, but I think that is the trend nationally. I think in the Democratic Party, it has to be as well. What do you think? I, I, I think it's going to be a real challenge for Johnson um, because, I think he had a clear path toward uh, maybe swaying the liberal vote in his favor in the primary. And his main competition there was, of course, Mayor Lightfoot. Now he's facing Paul Vallis. Uh, Lightfoot's out of the question. So uh, he's going to have to come up probably with a different message. I don't know how far he'll he'll uh, sort of sway from where he was in the primary. But, uh, you know, that'll that'll definitely be one of the main storylines to watch. Vallis also picked up the endorsement of uh, former Secretary of State Jesse White, which in your years of covering Jesse White, that is a significant endorsement. Has there ever been a whiff of scandal with Jesse White? Not really. I mean, he's one of the most widely respected, had always uh, been the lead vote getter of all the statewide candidates in basically every election. I think there was one year, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago where he won just about every county in Illinois. So his endorsement certainly carries weight. But as we saw in the Secretary of State primary, he was with Anna Valencia against Alexi Janulius. So he certainly doesn't bat 100%.
Good point, Jerry. Thank you very much. Have a terrific weekend. Good luck with the uh, fire alarm at the office. All right. Thanks, John. Jerry Nowicki, Bureau Chief, Capital News, Illinois, in Springfield, checking us out and joining us here on WLS. Um, I, I have a question of the day, and I want to I give proper attribution here. Shia Kapos, uh, hat tip to Shia Kapos. She has a question of the day, in essence, each and every day on her blog, which is the uh, play, Illinois Playbook, part of a Politico.com, one of their subsidiary sort of uh, websites. And today she asked, or I guess yesterday she asked, and I want to I kind of uh, take it and, and put it to, to use for our purposes too, uh, which three politicians, alive or not, would you invite for dinner this weekend and why? So, you know, she focused on Illinois politicians, Chicago and Illinois politicians. We'll open it up uh, to any politicians. So you know, just as a social media question, and if you would, Rachel, put it up on our Twitter and our Facebook and our Instagram. Which three politicians, alive or not, would you most like to invite for dinner this weekend and why? And before we get to the news, let's just go into the newsroom and ask Brett Gogol. Brett, have you given this any thought uh, you're in for Kim Gordon. Who would you like to invite to dinner, uh, Illinois politicians or even national politicians? Is none an option? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not the most politically savvy person, and I'd be okay not having dinner with multiple politicians that I would have to sit there and talk politics about. That's not what I do when I'm not here. I'll take that. Uh, looking at uh, Shia Kapos's answers today on her blog, James, last name redacted, said, I would, I, invite, I would invite both Mayor Daly's and Fred Rohde. Fred Rohde was an infamous alderman here in town for decades, uh, the uh, first ward. Uh, Fred had uh, lunch uh, every day at the same place and met with some guys who might be somewhat considered, uh, uh, not politicians, but still very much involved in the city. That would be an interesting dinner table, both Mayor Daly's and Fred Rohde. Uh, here's one from Alexander. Senator Dick Durbin, President Barack Obama, and Congressman Bill Foster. Interesting. Pasquale wrote, Congressman Frank Annunzio, Annunzio, uh, Marzullo, and Richard J. Daly. Kevin said, President Abraham Lincoln, Senator Paul Simon, Mayor Harold Washington. Interesting combo. You get the idea. You're listening to John Howell, Essential Cuts, on 890 WLS. Movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, and more. It's what women binge with Melissa Joan Hart and her friend Amanda Lee. Scott Grimes is here Thank with you. us. Voiceover, that is like my dream job. I think I just have too distinctive a voice and I can't manipulate it. That's why I'm right. not a good singer. This is how great Seth MacFarlane is. I went in to do it and I was talking like this and he goes, good, now just get rid of the neck thing that you just did because it's one, it's ugly. And I just came out like this and came up with this guy named Steve Smith who has a tiny little lisp, but so does Scott Grimes, so it's perfect. What women binge wherever you listen. Maybe you want to uh, go see a movie this weekend. Creed 3, Creed III, opens this weekend. Expectations are that it will have the best opening in franchise history. I spent the last seven years of my life living out my wildest dreams. Bianca, Rocky, my dad. This is built on their shoulders. I don't think Burgess Meredith uh, appears in this one. I need you to let go of your fear. Let go of the guilt. Let go of whatever was and walk into what is. How does it, uh, how does it uh, rank? How does it uh, stack up against uh, the original Rockies or even Raging Bull or Creed 1 or 2? Let's start there with Jason Nathanson, ABC News entertainment correspondent in L.A. joining us here on Double Deals. Jason, what do you think? 
Uh, Burgess Meredith, by the way, would have been 115 this year. So, <laughs> nope, he is not in this one. Uh, and also, we have some snow here we can lend you if, you, yes. if you're looking for snow. There's my, a lot of snow in Southern California. My daughter lives in L.A. I'm going to go out and see her in a, in a couple weeks. My son is going to join me, and I'm sure it'll be gone by then, but it's, it's not too far up in the mountains. Not the, it won't be gone in the mountains. If you're going up to Big Bear, Arrowhead, some of those more popular mountain getaways from Los Angeles, about two hours or so, there'll be plenty of snow there because they're having a lot of trouble digging people out right now. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, people can't get groceries. They can't get medicine and all kinds of stuff. It's, it's mm-hmm. a real mess in the mountain communities right now. Uh, Creed 3, yes. I just I talked to Brett Gogol, my, uh, uh, my news uh, anchor this afternoon. He is planning on seeing it tonight. Uh, and Creed 3, and I think fans of the franchise will enjoy Creed 3 because it's, you know, kind of some more of the same. You have Michael B. Jordan, who's back as Adonis Creed. He's also directing this time, making his directorial debut. So when we meet up with Creed in this one, he's just retired from boxing. He's settling into family life with his wife and his daughter. An old friend shows up, played by Jonathan Majors, who we've seen as Kang in the new Ant-Man movie. He's the big baddie there, so a big month for him. Uh, so his character has been in the, in Creed three has been in prison for the past eighteen years. Michael B. Jordan and uh, and uh, Majors characters were friends, very good friends. Uh, Majors was a boxing prodigy before he went into prison, and now he's out and he wants his shot. So that's where the conflict is kind of set up there. And when the story is focusing on that conflict between the two of them, that's where I think this movie is its best. It tries to get off into some family stuff, which I think is a little emotionally manipulative um and uh, you know the boxing stuff the boxing stuff is the boxing stuff right at this point what are you going to do that's really much different than the nine million rockies that have come before this or the other two creed movies that have come before this as well so a lot of that boxing stuff is a little cliche at this point but overall i thought the movie was enjoyable okay uh sylvester sloan uh is not in this one okay i was just double double checking uh netflix goes live for the first time with this new Chris Rock comedy special, he's expected to publicly talk about the Oscars slap. Can you confirm that? Uh, I can't confirm it because, again, it's going live tomorrow. So uh, we don't know what he's going to say. We, uh, we haven't had a look at it or a preview of it because uh, it's going to be live, which is, you know, it's funny that Netflix is kind of touting this. We're going live like broadcast television has been doing for 80 years. Yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting that they're t- kind of taking a page out of that book to try to push something new for them. Um, but it's expected that Chris Rock is going to talk about the Oscar slap, which he hasn't done publicly in the year since it's happened. He's done it at a couple shows here and there, but those were not for public consumption. There's no video of it. He hasn't done an interview about it. Uh, he had said at one point, I believe, that he was going to wait for the right time, the time that was right for him. And I think financially, maybe right for him to capitalize on yeah, that, yeah. and and this is that time. I mean, I think he's a brilliant comic, uh, and I'd like to see this, but I really had not intended on tuning in live in the Netflix. That seems kind of you know uh, against their brand, to be honest with you. But in this case, if in fact it's going to be the opening bit in his in his special, then that's worth checking into. Well, I, and you know you can watch it. And then if you don't happen to catch it live, it'll still be on Netflix. So just like anything else, you know, it's the kind of thing where and we've seen this with with other things in this day and age, the streaming day and age, live stuff gets attention. 
right? Whether it's the Super Bowl or whether it's Saturday Night Live now or, or you know, anything yeah. that does happen to be live, that's what people are going to be tweeting about tomorrow night, right? And if you have FOMO, if you don't want to miss out on something like that, then you're going to want to watch it live. If, not, if that doesn't matter to you, if you don't yeah. care what people are saying on social media and all that kind of stuff, then, you know, watch it at your leisure. I can't think of anything that I have, you know, it's been appointment uh, viewing for me other than sports in the last, I don't know, five years. Yeah, I mean award shows for me, um, but you know I'm I'm there at them, <laughs> well, so I kind of it's, it's work. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of right. what I have to do. But it's that and sports. Otherwise, when it comes to broadcast television, you know I, I I'm not watching anything live not really either. these days. The only thing I watch, and it's not even live at this point, but I try to watch around the same time because I'm I'm the the shows that I really like on net on uh, HBO like Game of Thrones the House of the Dragon or uh, the Last of Us which is airing Sundays right now I watch I don't watch ahead I watch those at the same time everybody else is watching those so that's kind of live but still I'm watching it on my HBO Max app so I start it whenever I want to start it and so it's kind of live but it's really not live at all. Well, unless I hear more about Chris Rock, I probably will not watch it live, but I'll watch it afterwards at some point. Yeah. It, I mean, that's basically what TV is, right? You just watch yeah. stuff whenever you want to yeah. watch it. You know, I, I did watch uh, a couple episodes of uh, Jackie Gleason and the Honeymooners uh, in the Jackie Gleason show from years and years ago, just because I ran across one of those old cuts off the Carson show. And uh, I'm amazed. They, they were, that was uh, really walking the high wire in those days, going live with a sketch comedy. Uh, I thought you say, I thought you were going to say that you watched Jackie Gleason live. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, they they uh, that was what network television was, just like radio. You know, yeah. but yeah. before it, that was yeah. that. There's something about that kind of immediacy that you don't get on podcasts, that you don't get on streaming. Yeah. Um, that's that's kind of the fun high wire act of it. Who knows what we're going to say right now right. that might get us in trouble or 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 not. Jason, uh, thank you much for your time. Good luck with the weather out there, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, I'm sure. Okay, thanks. Take care. Take care. Jason Nathanson, ABC News Entertainment Correspondent. We started out talking about Creed Three opening this weekend in theaters. I know I've been away a long time, but I kept myself in shape. I still got gas in the tank. Come by the gym. Thank you. Curious what happened with you two. I didn't tell you. We was like brothers. I was the best, though. Man, I never got a chance to prove that. Okay, I've heard enough. This is John Howell, Essential Cuts on 890 WLS. So, uh, Tina Turner, I had a buddy of mine play trumpet on a road show for a couple of different tours and said that she was the single most talented person he ever worked with, and he's worked with a lot of great performers. Tina, the Tina Turner musical opens in Chicago this weekend. Andrea, I understand you talked to a six-time Grammy nominee and Joliet Native, who is uh, in the show. Tell us about Anne Nesby. Anne Nesby, she's a Joliet Native, as you said, John, and also one of the founding members of Sounds of Blackness, um, Optimistic. You know that song. And she plays Tina Turner's grandmother in the performance. And normally they set some time aside for us to talk to all the, the actors and the actresses who are going to be in the musicals that come to town. Uh, so we set aside about six to eight minutes to talk to Anne and uh, Lane, who is my producer on the uh, podcast, and she's your producer. I know fill in time sometimes too. Uh, Lane can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we had her for like 18 minutes. She yeah. was unbelievable, and she knew Tina Turner. 
Um, you know, she just the stories that she was telling and to be able to star in this production. Uh, this is just really, really highly anticipated here in Chicago. We're lucky to have it uh, just for a couple weeks at the Nederlander Theater. But Ann Nesby plays Tina Turner's grandmother in this play and just her connections to Chicago. She was joking around because she went to Joliet Central and uh, she said, well, I'm going to have to probably like assign the first five rows to family members. Yeah, her yeah, father I bet. was a minister. So this is a big homecoming for her. As you said, John, six-time Grammy nominee and just, I can't wait to see this musical. There's there's a lot of musicals and plays I see, but this one I really can't wait to see just for the, the story of Tina Turner's life. I'm looking forward to hearing the podcast. Also, by the way, I should say that Show & Tell airs at noon on Saturday and 5 p.m. on Sunday here in Double Dallas as well. Do they go into the whole Ike Turner, all that all that nonsense, that terrible, a, terrible a things? Bit. that he, Yeah, Yeah, a little bit. I think that's part of her story is just, you know, that what she went through with Ike Turner, you know, the physical and the mental abuse, but also, uh, I mean, and I'm not saying anything out of Turner spoiling anything, John, right. um, but he basically robbed her blind and she started, she had this successful gospel and R&B career and then had to reinvent herself, herself rather, and that's how many of us, that's how I do her, you know, Tina Turner from Private Dancer, yeah, they had from records. the 80s, yeah. and every decade she just reinvented herself and just became one of the top Basically, I would call her, you know, the, the godmother of pop and rock and R&B. She just, there's no genre that she can't do. Yeah, she was terrific. And I mean, as I mentioned, that musician who's played with all kinds of road uh, shows and, you know, he's, he's, he's very cynical. I mean, he's not a guy that, he's not, uh, uh, he's, he doesn't throw, he throws compliments around like old George Hallis. He throws nickels like, uh, <laughs> uh, what do they say, uh, the quote about Hallis? He threw nickels around like uh, manhole covers. This guy's not, right. uh, he doesn't talk about uh, people that he toured with in gr- all these very flowery terms very often, but he just said flat out, Tina Turner was the best I've ever seen live night after night after night. So what else are you recommending for this weekend and what else are you featuring on the show? So absolutely, John, two big things I think this will interest you too, and I think your listeners, the Claremont Collections Automotive Museum. This is basically a car museum. It's right in Chicago. It's just off Belmont in Kilbourne Park, 3111 North Knox Avenue. And I talked to Bobby Olson, who's the president, and they started this museum not with, you know, famous cars like the Batmobile or the Dukes of Hazard, but they feature classic cars like the Cadillac Fleetwood Brougham or, you know, the Pontiac, old cars that are no longer made. You know, my dad's first car was a, a green Bonneville. Uh, it, it probably could have, probably nine of us could have fit in that car comfortably is how big it was with the white leather interior seats. So they feature a lot of these cars. And what's really cool about this museum, John, is that they provide scholarships and passes, basically, for Chicago public school students to take field trips. They'll pick them up. They'll bring them to the museum, which is not what, you know, a lot of schools can't afford to do that, have field trips all the time for their kids. Uh, And they let the kids, they teach the kids STEM as well, science, uh, math, engineering, and how all of that, how that relates to to cars, basically. So it's it's a very learning, hands-on museum experience for kids and adults alike. I would highly recommend that. And then the Orchid Show is going on this weekend at the Chicago Botanic Gardens. That goes through the end of the month, which is always beautiful. A sure sign of spring. And my final recommendation for you and your listeners, at the Field Museum, you can get lost in the Field Museum. There's no reason never to go. But they have a new exhibit called Death, Life's Greatest Mystery. (laughs) And this was so cool, John. We talked to the curator, Gary Feynman, and just how all these different cultures 
you know, we just here in the States or many of our cultures are either burial or cremation. But just so many different cultures go on to explore death in such different ways. It's super interesting to me. Yeah, I'm reading this book. It's a compilation. Actually, it's called The Grim Reader, The Grim Reader. And yeah. it's a, it goes into a lot of this as well. So that interests me too. Hey, before I let you go, let me just mention Show and Tell. You can see it. See it. You can hear it as a podcast or listen to it. High noon on Saturday, 5 p.m. on Sunday here on Double Dallas. Uh, thanks for your help on Tuesday night. And are you surprised that uh, uh, former Secretary of State uh, Jesse White has endorsed Paul Vallis? Yes and no. Uh, yes, because I, I would have thought that Jesse White might have gone with the African-American candidate. However, Jesse White, uh, and he has a lot, you know, John, you know and I know, and I had a great time with you guys on election night, too, and, and your expertise and your background with Bill. But Jesse White, he's a mainstay in the state of Illinois. You know, when he speaks and he yeah. gives a recommendation or he gives an endorsement, I think people are going to listen. And, and we just saw with, with Joe Biden saying that he's going to, reverse sign that anti-crime bill in D.C., I think that nothing's really going to surprise me now going forward because we're seeing a general path right now, I think, in the city, in the state, and in the country of going toward the more law and order candidate. Absolutely. And I think that's what Jesse White is doing. And, and, and Walter Burnett, too, with the endorsement of, of Vallis today, too. I think, I think we're going we're gonna to be pleasantly surprised, John, I think, with this runoff, don't you? Well, it kind of neutralizes... I'm not picking sides right now, but uh, I I would say it it neutralized the white versus black thing that we thought we were going to go through again from 40 years ago. And I think the fact that Jesse White has endorsed Fallis and the alderman as well, it it really helps Fallis. It's it's a really good get for him. And we'll see how Brandon Johnson responds. I've heard the clip, but I played it for my listeners, but uh, he'll need to counter that next week. And I'm sure his team is working on that as we speak. Well, thank you, Andre. I really appreciate your time. I think it's a great show. Like I mentioned, a lot of podcasts aren't worth the time. Yours certainly is. And have a great weekend. I hope to talk to you again next week. You're listening to John Howell, Essential Cuts on 890 WLS. What's up, folks? Anthony Armstrong here. Bob Popple, along with Super Bowl champion Carl Banks. Hey, NFL fans. This is Solomon Wilcox, former NFL safety and host of the Believe in Bengals podcast. Catch my show and all 32 Believe NFL podcasts. Listen in to former players give their inside perspective on your favorite team. Search Believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. It's always football season, wherever you listen. One year ago this week, then House Speaker Michael Madigan, actually, no, I believe he had resigned at that point, uh, he was indicted on 22 counts of racketeering, bribery, wire fraud, and extortion. And now the ComEd 4 is set for trial this month, and then his former chief of staff is scheduled, I believe, for August. And then a little over a year from now, Madigan is then scheduled to stand trial in a case that the feds have been building for the better part of a decade. And along the way, more than a dozen other Democratic politicians, lobbyists, business executives, and others have been ensnared. They're in the soup, as they say. Let's welcome uh, my next guest, and she's a terrific writer and a returning guest here, Hannah Mizell. She's a reporter for Capital News Illinois. She's been covering this from the get-go. Hannah, welcome. Of course, now that the U.S. Attorney John Lausch has said, and he said this, I think, on Wednesday, that his last day on the gig will be March 11th, I just want to start with this. 
is this going to slow down the process uh, when it re- in regarding to the Com- Commonwealth Edison trial or the former chief of staff of the speaker or the former speaker himself? Is this going to slow down justice? No, I don't think so, because, you know, John Lausch has already basically done his job uh, as U.S. attorney. And, you know, his uh, deputies who have also been, you know, doing a lot of the work on these cases, they're not leaving as far as um, I know. And, you know, I, I think, again, the work has already been done, and basically all that's left um, is for the court cases to play out. Take us back to 2011. Mike McLean, who is a former legislator who became a lobbyist and in Madigan's inner circle for decades, he specifically sought to influence Madigan in, on behalf of a Commonwealth Edison of three major pieces of legislation, so we won't go into the weeds on that. But the fourth bill that would have expanded assistance to low-income electric customers was killed, which is really odd because the bill was promoted by Mike Madigan's daughter, then Attorney General Lisa Madigan. Have they ever reconciled that? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I can't pretend to know what goes on inside the Madigan family dynamics. But, you know, I, from what I've seen, I saw a recent family picture of them, and they're all together. I mean, on the one hand, this is, when you're in politics, I think even if it's family, uh, you get a little rough and tumble and you get over it. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, to explain to listeners, going back to 2011, what the prosecutor, federal prosecutors allege is that over a course of about nine years, uh, ComEd uh, vis-a-vis uh, Mike McLean and two other uh, lobbyists that were close a- allies um, sought to influence Madigan and get, um, you know, those ba- three big pieces of legislation, uh, the smart grid in 2011, another kind of update to that in 2013, and then the Future Energy Jobs Act in 2016, uh, get those across the finish line in Springfield. Those are all really good for ComEd's bottom line. Um, and, it, you know, we should also add that after uh, this indictment came down, I'm, well, first of all, the ComEd folks were indicted in uh, November of 2020. Madigan was not indicted until last March. And then um, in October, Fed, uh, federal prosecutors added a superseding indictment that basically charged AT&T, the giant telecoms uh, utility, with basically the same thing to a smaller scale of trying to influence Madigan to get pieces of legislation favorable to that utility over the finish line uh, in the same kind of way, trying to, um, you know, saying, yes, we will give jobs to some allies, we will give contracts. <laughs> Some and, interns involved. You know, yeah, you know, the the, uh, the family issues set aside. That was a that was a poorly worded question about uh, Lisa Madigan. I guess I'd like to ask: Will her statements, her previous statements, uh, be used in this trial, uh, or even is she expected perhaps to testify? That'd be a surprise. That would be a surprise. You know, I I don't know uh, whether uh, prosecutors would seek to do that. Certainly, would be a very Hollywood thing to do uh, to force, you know, to give her a subpoena. I don't know, though. I, I can't claim to know what the prosecutors will uh, try to do in the next year because, um, you know, either in this trial nor uh, Madigan, when he finally does go to trial, that's scheduled for April 1st of 2024. But it's going to be very, very interesting to watch all of these trials very closely. What is the timetable, uh, Hannah, on 
Madigan's former chief of staff, Tim Mapes, when does he have to pay a price for lying to the feds when he had cut a deal with the feds? So Tim Mapes uh, apparently was called in to a grand jury in March of 2021, where he was given, uh, he was under an immunity order, meaning that if he uh, was able to give information that the grand jury was looking for, he would not be prosecuted himself. Although he was warned, of course, that if he did lie under oath, he would be prosecuted. But that is allegedly exactly what he did. Lied to the grand jury and said he didn't know about the nature of uh, Madigan's relationship with Mike McLean uh, and didn't, you know, claimed ignorance about their relationship, even when uh, Mates allegedly was the person who was fielding calls from McLean and serving as kind of a go-between. Hmm. And so he is scheduled for trial in August. Um, and, you know, I think that's going to be very interesting. This is someone to hope both Mike McLean and Tim Mapes unfailingly loyal to Madigan. And, um, but in the end, you know, these people are, you know, especially Tim Mapes, you know, had to go kind of under the bus. Uh, and <laughs> in the end, there was just not enough uh, folks that were close enough to Madigan to uh, save him from yeah. feds trying to go right to him. Hannah Mizell is here, a reporter for Capital News, Illinois. We're just kind of cleaning up a few loose ends here before the Commonwealth Edison trial begins. Separate again, but what's the latest on Kevin Quinn? Uh, we know he was quickly fired after the accusations of sexual improprieties in Madigan's office back in 2018. Then McLean directed the Speaker's allies to make sure Quinn received some cash and had some income. What's the latest on him? And did he ever settle up in any way, manner, or form with Ms. Hampton? Uh, no, I mean, Kevin Quinn was not, in the end, a party to uh, that case when uh, in... I believe it was November 2019, uh, Hampton uh, settled uh, her case against the Madigan organization. Of course, those claims were that the Madigan organization, you know, ignored and failed to protect her from uh, Kevin Quinn's repeated advances, uh, unwanted uh, sexual advances, even though he was much older and married. Um, You know, truthfully, I haven't heard much about Kevin Quinn uh, in the last couple of years. Okay. Um, obviously, brother of uh, 13th Ward Alderman Marty Quinn, um, you know, protected in that way. But uh, I haven't heard much about what he's up to these days. Hannah, thank you for the update. I appreciate it very much. I'll read more at Capital News Illinois and have a terrific weekend. All right. Thanks so much, John. Happy to be here. Uh, I'm not resigning. I'm moving forward. Well, that was then. Uh, this is now. So you did resign. Uh, I, I'm not resigning. I'm moving forward. Tell you what, I still will take the under. Now, everybody's presumed innocent. All right, let's just say that. Presumed innocent. Get your day in court. Got it. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and take the under on Mike Madigan or uh, Ed Burke ever uh, traveling north to uh, Wisconsin. Not not to their own places. I'm talking about Oxford, Wisconsin. What do you think? I, I don't. Um, it, these trials are a long way off. These guys have good attorneys. And it's been done before. Wheels of Justice, you know. John Howell, Essential Cuts. Check back every weekday for another episode of John Howell, Essential Cuts on 890 WLS. Get an inside look at Hollywood. 
with Michael Rosenbaum. Let's get inside of my buddy, Kumal Nanjiani. When you talk about Eternals and it wasn't the response that you were hoping, how did that affect you? Marvel thought that we'd be going on a wave of raves, you know, and it wasn't true. The reviews were really bad. And you were aware of it while you were on tour? Yeah, I was too aware of it. And so very intentionally, I did start counseling. Emily says that I do have trauma from it. Inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum. Wherever you listen.